today's guest is Julia Benison. Julia was uh, involved uh, with the Rugby League European Federation primarily as a translator, uh, given her, her, her ability to speak Russian. Uh, but I think we're going to hear that um, it went well, below, well uh, beyond the role of it being just a translator, that's for sure. So, uh, hello there, Julia. How are you? Uh, hi, Graham. I'm very good, thank you. Good, good. And I can add straight away that it wasn't my initial role wasn't just a translator. It was um, a liaison officer. Ah, right. That's okay. Yeah, I stand it was corrected. Slightly more than that. <laughs> yeah, well, it definitely became more than that. That is, you say. So, listen, Julie. Just where, whereabouts are you joining us from? Um, I'm um, based in Cheshire. Um, it's been the same for past twenty years. Okay. So, uh, and when I joined the European Federation, that's where I lived as well, yes. Okay. And, and where were you originally from, Julia? Uh, I was born in Russia. Okay. And at the age of uh, 15, my family moved to Latvia. Yep. So, and uh, in Latvia, I met my um, English husband. <laughs> so that's why I ended up here. <laughs> Okay, in there we go. In the year of 2000. Right. And what was your first experience of rugby league? Okay, I'll, I, I remember that vividly. Uh, it was um, spring 1997. It was my ever first uh, visit to UK. And um, I went to watch um, Witness Vikings at the in Witness uh, home stadium. There was only two, I think, stands there so, uh, at the time. Uh, now it's, you know, four stands. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to expect, really, because <laughs> I, I expected to see um, more than blood or <laughs> something like this. I don't know. <laughs> I, seriously, that was my expectation. And, uh, and from the first minute, it was, wow, it was captivating. I didn't expect that at all. It was fast, powerful game, and I just couldn't believe it. And there was no blood, no, no mud. <laughs> Maybe not that week, but there is sometimes, yes. It was a beautiful game. Yeah, so, and I was watching that game ever since, at, uh, you know, any opportunity. So, yes. <laughs> it's great. So, obviously, you, you, you stayed, I think, a, wit a Witness fan, and, and obviously yes. went to games. But yes. it was around about... Uh, 2007. Just tell us how this this liaison officer role came to your attention. Okay, uh, it was 2005. It was um, autumn 2005. Uh, my uh, then husband handed over. Um, he was buying a rugby league express weekly. So, and he he handed over a little ad in the paper saying. Um, looking for a native Russian based in UK uh, to become a liaison officer uh, for Rugby League European Federation. Um, knowledge of the game is appreciated, but not essential. That's the exact, I think it was the exact ad. <laughs> oh, I remember it. So, and, uh, and, I, and I just thought, right, okay. It just ticks every box for me. I mean, I don't know what it involves. <laughs> so, but I thought I was desperate to, to do something because I've always worked and uh, 
So my my son was uh, about three years old, and I was desperate to start doing something. I didn't know what to do yet, and it just landed on me like this. It was just amazing. So yes, I responded, and um, uh, had an interview at the uh, RFL court headquarters in Red Hall, and yeah. uh, and I started as on voluntary capacity, and uh, in the voluntary capacity. So, but it just kicked in straight away. People started contacting me. I was contacting people, and uh, because things were happening, people needed visas <laughs> and they had Super. questions. And I think the following in 2006 spring was uh, the first time I flew out um, to Holland. The Russian team played Dutch team, and I think it was the uh, World Cup qualifying, first game of the World Cup qualifiers. Yeah. So, yes. And uh, that's when I first time met Russians. <laughs> Just to take you back, so obviously when you came for your interview, I presume it was Kevin Rudd, the first yes, general was. manager who you met, who was, who, was, who was on our first ever podcast. So that was, your, that was the first person you worked alongside, wasn't it, Kevin? Uh, yes, yes. And... Um, and I think it was, it, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, I think it was the the, the, the way they selected people and uh, introduced people to the organization is the key part that played um, a huge role in the expansion of uh, European Federation because of, um, I think because of his style, his confident and reassuring style and communication because I've, I've been there I've, 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 we've met nations for the first time or representative of nations for the first time and um, you could tell they felt confident you know they felt confidence in in European Federation they especially the Russian-speaking nations um, I've, I've dealt with um, I think it was essential they could they could tell they they will be uh, supported and looked after, and um, and that what came from uh, Kevin originally, and then I I picked up from that point I would pick up, and they come to me, <laughs> so yeah. and it was only a joy to trying to support them in every way I could, so and Kevin again Kevin's role was essential there because. He was fighting behind the scenes um, to, to give that support, you know, in many, many forms, even to the point that um, he would contact clubs and ask them to donate kit and, you know, secondhand kits and stuff. And we would take them everywhere we go and rugby balls as well. I remember traveling with a, uh, a bag full of rugby. <laughs> It's for me. I couldn't come to see uh, people and nations empty-handed. I had to bring a, a bag of twenty rugby balls or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was just yeah. a given. <laughs> yeah, no. Kevin was a great one for that, making people feel very welcome and yeah. with limited resources. So just to just um, you know, you, you began to talk there about you know what what you provided, and, and you know, uh, you correct me quite rightly about the liaison officer. And, and, and in many ways, that wasn't just about introducing, um, say, the, some of the, the, the ex-Soviet states to rugby yeah. league. It was also helping people like Kevin, other people, 
uh, from the European Federation understand the thinking, wasn't it, of, of those in those ex-Soviet states so they could appreciate and try and mould their, 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 their communications and their mannerisms and their approaches you know, to, to a compatible fashion. That, give us a little bit more about that, Julia. Yeah, it was the... Um... That was a tricky part. And I, I remember uh, Kevin saying that um, be, before me hearing that, he would say that my role in the European Federation is the hardest one. <laughs> so I didn't know that. I was just taking it in my stride. And I did understand by then I lived in UK for five, six years. And um, I've adopted quite easily. and. Um, understood the, the difference in mentalities and approach, especially to sport. And uh, it was so obvious to me that uh, in former Soviet uh, countries, the approach was, uh, it was always governments forever, forever, you know, that generation. Only The only thing they knew is that the government supported, you know, government pays you salary <laughs> and so on and so on. This is completely different. So I was able to, especially with my son starts, uh, starting to train, uh, at the age of four, he started training uh, football and then five rugby league and playing as well. So I could I could see how it works, how coaches, you know, volunteer coaches, they uh, give their time, they, they, they coach them and it's a completely different thing. So, and... Um, as much as I could, I felt like um, I, I could help them bridge that gap. So I could explain uh, to them how things work here and how can they adopt the sim something similar uh, to their, especially new environment when um, there was much less government support at that time. So, yeah, in some places it worked better, in, in, in some not, in some people still expected, especially from European Federation, uh, the, the um, attitude like, you know, give us money and we, we, we know how to spend them. <laughs> so yeah. that's, what's, that's not what European Federation was about at all. But again, by being there and giving them support, so we, I felt like European Federation can compensate by giving them the support they need and um, personal approach. So I think that was uh, my main, I felt like it was my uh, main role about. So yeah. the interpretation by then, being an interpreter fell into the last place, you know. Yes. <laughs> it was not the last place in, in, my, yeah, in, my, um, in my role. Yeah, just, just. I mean, uh, Russia and rugby league has had an up and down journey over the last twenty five yeah. years. Um, yeah. You know, and certainly in the time I've been involved, I've seen almost a fully, fully professional national team. Yeah. And again, if you look at some of the clubs, they were close to professional because of you know the sort of state sponsorship type approach um, yeah. or significant individuals and obviously it's been through a tough time just recently but under the under the new chairmanship of, of John Christie hopefully it'll move you know rise back up again what 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 was your experience of of the the ups and downs of rugby league in Russia over over the period you were involved oh yeah that was one the uh, one roller coaster of experience um when I started 
Uh, it was, uh, as I mentioned before, my my first introduction to the Russian national team was in in Holland in uh, uh, Rotterdam in spring two thousand six. So I could yes, there was um, uh, the national team was made of uh, a professional club players mainly, maybe ninety percent. Uh, locomotive, which locomotive is a, a Russian railway company, national railway company, and um, yes, the, you, you could tell they were professional players. And uh, but at that point, um, there was some private people introduced as sponsors. So I met one one of them, uh, but obviously, um, locomotive being supported, uh, locomotive club being supported by uh, or sponsored by this big company they were dominating and it was it was very obvious it was clear and again going back to uh rugby league i've seen uh in in uk it's a completely different story so i could tell there's no competition i could tell it's kind of a dead end uh, you know journey there so um but, you know, at that time, there was, yeah, I think there was two strong clubs. There was the Lokomotiv and there was a, a club in Kazan, which is Tatarstan, which is uh, a republic of, of Russia. Beautiful city, by the way. Um, so, uh, but then it started to change, especially with, again, I think uh, European Federation played the crucial part there because uh, before we... Um, started working with Russia closely, the other clubs didn't see any any, any kind of future. It was kind of, you know, like I mentioned, that that, that end thing. But then they could see some because they could come to us directly asking for support and we would send, uh, we would, uh, I personally would organize uh, trips to, for example, uh, a trip of um, one of the volunteers at the time um, I think Matt Jeffries introduced him. Uh, he was a student um, rugby league manager. He introduced uh, England then England student coach, head coach Gareth Pratt. He went to yep. um, Russia to coach to, to south of Russia. It's uh, it's it's kind of you know it it was unheard of. They didn't even expect that kind of support. So he went out for a week and he was coaching them and so on and so on. And uh, and then after that, he went that uh, another time. I was there too as an interpreter as well because by then I, I built closer relationship because they the more support needed in these places in places like that. So, but at the same time. Uh, those people, like Rostov people, um, they they had their own connection with universities. We went to universities. We spoke to heads of you know, you know they. So that that was significant to me to be able to show people support that then would encourage them to connect uh, with the local universities and build teams and build competitions. It was very, very, it was a beautiful thing to see. So, um, and also I went there and, I, you know, I went and met, met these people. And again, they could, you know, because I know Russian mentality, they 
they kind of like a little bit of a, a sense of authority from somebody. <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah, so uh, it was beautiful. So, and um, yeah, so I'd say you mentioned, you know, mentality and how it changed. I think that changed things. And they naturally were transforming because there were other clubs that, uh, again, they would come to me directly. I would, I was able to um, either to connect them to the right people or do things they, they needed me to do or organize uh, things like um, uh, team trips to UK or vice versa. So, again, it was just things started to move, things started to shift. And these people were able, these teams, they were never had the chance before to even play internationally, even with with the amateur team, for example, in English team. So that's that's how it, it started to change. And uh, obviously that they gave, I, I imagine it gave them a lot more confidence. And even, even though they would lose badly, it's still, it's, they could see things are changing. That's yeah. how I think it went. Yeah. Okay. And just you know, one of the the hard parts to understand. Every country is different, but in terms yeah. of the sort of Russian politics, sport politics, politics, mm. you need in Russian. I suppose is in every walk of life to some degree, but certainly some mm. kind of officials, ministry officials that are going to look look favorably upon you. Uh, or maybe be part of you know sponsoring you in some regards that that was probably still an, an interesting dynamic wasn't it in terms of real good recognition for rugby league and and you know potential funding as well so yeah. how much did you get involved in some of that aspects trying to almost decipher what was going on in the in the in the higher politics yes that was the yeah if we if we speak about russia alone that was the hurdle I think we've, um, or, or the wall, I would say even the wall, we kept banging against of, because um, uh, in, 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 in Russian, uh, whatever you call them, <laughs> set of sports rules and <laughs> Olympic sports rules, um, they would not recognize rugby league as a separate sport. I, I you know, I couldn't go deeper and and understand why but i could tell i don't know rugby maybe yeah i understand that they, they, they possibly had more support earlier in years than than rugby league ever could and um it's still kind of yeah it's it's something that we could we couldn't we couldn't do much about even though we tried we wrote letters official letters from international rugby league federation explaining it's a separate sport but i think it's because um i think it's the level of rugby league russian rugby league had organization i think it never got to yes they did have rich sponsors you know people with money but they were not necessarily people who did understand the sport and and had real passion for that sport. So that that's just my understanding of it. So and that's why, um, especially when uh, rugby uh, seven got into uh, Olympics, and that automatically uh, provided them financial support. Um, 
rugby league teams were kind of inclined to playing both in order just to get some financial support. So they would play both. Um, so, yeah, so I would say uh, all this time I was involved in NAFTA. Rugby League had to rely on people, passionate people, um, who, who were able to find um, other people to, to support them financially. Okay. But with the other countries like Ukraine yep. and Latvia, for example, that wasn't an issue. So, and um, you, Ukraine, I mean, Ukraine also, they, um, they did take advantage of uh, Rugby 7 becoming an Olympic sport. But they, uh, for, for them, the main focus was always Rugby League. There was, I remember it was, uh, I, I know Kevin mentioned Arta Martirasan. So his father and his son, um, they both were driving forces. So, and uh, I remember the beginning, they would say, they would even say things. We, would, we wouldn't buy, wouldn't even buy a piece of kit if it's, if it belongs to rugby union. <laughs> um, but then they had to change it up in order to keep uh, developing uh, rugby league in the country. And um, yes, so I, that's, I think. So, so just on those, you said you went to those first sort of couple of that, that those ones were the first meeting. First meeting, someone's uh, reaching out to Kevin and then obviously going to meet them. Just, just, you know, was Ukraine one of them, for example? Was that one that you were there at the, at the beginning? Are you talking about Ukraine? Yeah, you. you yeah. That... Uh, Ukraine. It, that was yeah. a beautiful. That was a beautiful story from from the start. Um, it was. I, I don't remember. You, you, if you remember, Graham, uh, it was one of the games. I think it was Russia playing Ireland. Is that the game you went to? We were together in Moscow at that time. I was think it, it was. I think it yeah. was. I think I can remember Ray Tennant as the match commissioner. Yes, I think. Yes. Yeah. In rugby league in Wakefield and Casford. So you are part of that history as well. So yeah. um, obviously, at the times of the tournaments and games, I uh, was very, very busy as an interpreter and as a you know partly you know playing part in organising this event. Event. So uh, straight after the match, uh, we were going to have some after 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 match. Um, party let's let's go there and there were two there were two people waiting for me at the club where the game was played and it was Arta senior and Arta junior <laughs> so I don't remember exactly how they you know knew ever how I would be here and even that I they could speak to me and things like that. because it was early year it was yeah earlier do you remember what year it was Graham I think it was 2000, maybe seven or something, or eight. I think, yeah, seven. Was, I think it was autumn 2007, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, so so I, I literally had 15, 20 minutes to speak to them. So, and I did speak, I did travel all the way from, from Ukraine to Moscow just to, to have that time, that conversation. So that I would say was October, November 2007. And, um, and I had that conversation, and uh, I, 
we agreed that we'll we'll come and see them in their place to you know do our usual things, speak to them, see what venues they have and you know, facilities and so on. So and the following and the f- uh, three four months later, we were with Kevin in Ukraine speaking to them both. Uh, meeting up with people, running uh, some sports facilities and so on and so on. And ever since that place, the Ukrainians were just growing and growing and growing steadily, steadily. So, and by now, I actually checked with um, Arthur today. I told him about this podcast. He, he got excited. He said, are you coming back on board? <laughs> I said, calm down, calm down. I just want to know how, you know, because I'm still friends with these people and they, um, every time I read something in social media about them, I always pay attention. So, but I wanted to be uh, kind of <laughs> get uh, more specific. So, and now they have uh, 12 senior teams, clubs. They have 12 youth clubs and junior as well. So I would imagine they're all the same clubs and they have all these uh, um the age groups um competing and also i know they um introduced um tag rugby tag rugby in schools so and uh, they also play regular competition so yeah i would say i mean i I would probably say it's my most (laughs) proud project obviously you know, I can't take, I can only take little credit. <laughs> so, um, but yes, but again, I would, um, because they were more, you know, they were more independent compared to Russia. It's a smaller, it's a, yes, it's the biggest country in Europe, but it's, you know, it's still significantly smaller, but they were just, uh, yeah, I'd say they were, they were brilliant. <laughs> So, yes. That's... So, yeah, other countries you're involved with were Latvia and Kazakhstan, is that right? Uh, as well? yeah, yeah. yeah, Latvia was the same year where we went to, obviously because I lived in, in Latvia before before UK. And um, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure if Kevin got in touch or they got, I don't remember. I, it's, it's Ukraine that I remember vividly because they came to see me. Uh, but nevertheless, we did go to uh, Latvia in the same time, similar, to, uh, yeah, same winter as when we went to Ukraine. So, and uh, yeah, there were people, uh, originally uh, rugby union people, but they wanted to play rugby league. So, and they did look quite promising. And we did have, they did have, they started working on it and building uh, teams and clubs. Um, but at some point, um, it kind of, uh, slided off to back to playing more union, I think. I'll have to speak to them. I'll have to speak to them <laughs> because I'm, again, I'm still friends. It's amazing how many friends I have around. <laughs> Not, you know, <laughs> rug- I, I call them rugby friends. So, and I think it's a, it's a bond you have forever. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's a really good point, isn't it? Because, you know, I spoke to Simon Cooper of Germany a few weeks ago and, and certainly yeah, the friendship, exactly. yeah, the friendships he's developed have stayed the, stayed the same with him and uh, yeah. Milan from Czech and obviously Kevin's. Oh, yeah. It's it's part of it's a really 
as you know, this the role you played and what Kevin played as well was we were you were crossing big cultural, you know, differences, but but friendship was and and, and the common love of rugby league really brought people together, didn't it? Ah, uh, yes, yes, and um, I I remember even the uh, people from Russian clubs and from you know Kazan clubs, they would tell me that they want they. Um, it's just a difference, you know. I need to. Uh, I'm. I'm going to go sideways. Just talking to Peel about rugby league and rugby union. To me personally, when I watch, <laughs> when I watch rugby league compared to rugby union, to me rugby league is such a, you know, fast, powerful game compared to. So to me, there is no compare. No comparison. There's no competition. So when people are telling me. Um, uh, in in Russia, for example, that they they have clubs uh, contacting them saying they want to play rugby league, and uh, when I would ask them, you know, why is that? And to me, it's obvious, but I needed to ask. And they said, well, because when they play union, they sometimes they they say they don't even get to hold the ball during the game. So, what kind of game is that if you can't hold the ball? So anyway, going back to this, the cultural differences and stuff. Um, yes, it was um, one of the, the last trips trying to um, get a, another nation join uh, European Federation was Kazakhstan. That was back in nine, uh, 2009. Oh, yeah, 2009. So that was interesting as well. They were... Um, <laughs> There was a bunch of people, uh, rugby union people, uh, who said, "Yes, we want to, we want to play rugby league. We want to join European Federation." But it was kind of soon became apparent that um, they possibly they wanted for a wrong reason. So, and that's why he kind of never picked up. So, yeah, I would say it's the from my experience. I would say it's the passion for the game and, and and type and quality of people that uh, get really involved with this game and then they never leave it they, they you know they always connected to that and they uh, want to be involved actually I would um, when the Russians would uh, they would confine in me you know the <laughs> moan I would say about <laughs> how they how difficult it is to get support and so on and so on. And I would tell them, look, stop, never go begging for anything, be it um, some local government or university board or another organization. Never, never beg for anything. Come and sell them a great idea or tell them how we, they would benefit to be involved in this in this great event or in this great adventure because that's what it is that's what it is and so you don't even you just you invite them to be part of it and they will be excited so that's the way of trying to change kind of approach and mentality because <laughs> it is a, it is a great one of the greatest games so I, you know, I'm never tired of saying that. Because... <laughs> <laughs> and of course, one of the other things you did was you helped some of the amateur teams uh, from England go over and tour over to to to, to some of these places. What, what what kind of teams did you help to to get over there and go touring? 
Right. Um, one of the themes um, was Bala. Bala. Yeah. So they a little more adventurous than <laughs> than um, our, our usual type, I would say. But they were the ones that were willing to go. And um, uh, uh, for one thing, uh, it was early years when um, Challenge Cup final had uh, two Russian, two top Russian teams competing. Yeah. And I was involved in that. So that's how it started. The, the relationship with Bali started when they uh, offered uh, for one of the teams to stay over a couple of days after the Challenge Cup game and play with their team. So, and um, and from that point, uh, yes, it was the uh, Ukraine wanted to to invite them and then the Russians wanted to invite them. So, yeah, and uh, I became a specialist in, uh, you know, guiding them to <laughs> with visa applications and things like that. Oh, they were... The, you know the the moment it was you know I'm having flashbacks when um, a team is re applying for for Russian visas in Edinburgh uh, because I would tell them don't apply in London apply in Edinburgh and uh, because there is you know less applications and so on yeah. and there was this time when there was something wrong with the invitation and I was literally on the phone to this mom and 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 the, and the young boy well i don't know maybe 17 or something so they were just there the embassy the invitation was wrong the curry is waiting so i had i was able to arrange a new invitation from moscow <laughs> within half an hour <laughs> so that this boy joins the team and goes to Russia. that kind of I, these are my flashbacks as well <laughs> <That kind of. laughs> so in all those flashbacks and there's a lot of memories in there What's your what's your fondest memory um, in your time uh, when you were doing this role, Julia? Oh, oh there was uh, too many to mention. Uh, one of them was a significant one. It was um, uh, we, uh, February two thousand and ten, when um, um, when Russian Rugby League had experienced the three way split. So. And um, me and Taz Bateri decided to go. I mean, he decided. I, I joined them. We went to to Moscow <laughs> to see them. We met with all the people, you know, all the representatives together. That didn't work out. So, <laughs> and uh, then we decided we were going to meet them separately and have a serious conversation, listen about their agenda, what they have, and so on and so on. So it's, it was really, we had to, uh, we're kind of third party in this, but it was a mission to really honestly look into each possibility, each organization trying to, to be the head of Russian Rugby League. So, and, uh, and we did that and then we had to make a judgment call and to stick with it. So we chose one organization out of three and, um, uh, I don't know if they were, it's, it, it, yeah, we thought it was the best choice by them. So maybe it, it, it still was. So that wasn't a joke. 
it was a very very serious thing to do and we and we kind of we, just just two of us we had to do it just <laughs> because as a european federation and international federation of rugby league you know it's who we want to be dealing with so yeah. and uh, that was that was quite significant yes i, I yeah sure. I still remember that yeah it was like a mission i think so yeah and i think we handled it quite well yeah Thanks. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you obviously great give insight into the people and knowing Tazzy's uh, people skills as well. Then I can imagine yeah. that that very effective, uh, effective duo. So, just yeah. you know, uh, bring it right up to to date because you know you, you talked about your your love of rugby league from '97. Yeah. You're based now in in Runcorn, and and yeah. and your son, your son Jonathan, is uh, a. Yeah. Played last year for England Youth Rugby League, didn't he? Against against Wales. So that must have been a really proud moment for you, in, in amongst your own involvement rugby league on this level, but then on the family aspect. Uh, yes, that's something. Um, it's it's kind of it happens on its own. It's it's I don't take any credit for that, apart from being a supportive. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Apart from being a supporting mom, you know, going out to watch him every Sunday play in witness and uh, home and away as well, as long as it's yeah. not too far. It was it was never too far. So yeah. and giving them, you know, kind of um, just just freedom to, to grow and expand, you know, develop and providing and also I have to mention great diet, <laughs> great freshly cooked. <laughs> No junk, <laughs> tasty, and I do it to this day. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, for okay. me, it's very important. So, and I think, I mean, many, many people might not think it's important. To me, it's, it's very important. So, and um, yes, I think it was. Um, first of all, he was very loyal to this little club, West Bank Bears and Witness. He was yes. very, very loyal, and. Um, from start to finish, he finished with them um, at the age of, I think, fourteen or f fourteen or fifteen when the, the, that particular um, team folded. But he quickly, even before that, he was invited. He's been invited uh, by uh, St Helens um, and. Um, I don't know. Maybe we, we. He was part of also witness vikings um academy yeah so but but they were not regular teams so yeah yeah and um he, he was spotted at i'd say at early teenage age as a as a you know very good player so and i know why he is because he loves the game and um when i had to choose between football and, and rugby league he chose rugby league even though he was he was good at both he would play football on Saturday and rugby on Sunday. Yes. So, but then he chose rugby league. And he was, he never missed the training, he never missed the game, and uh, unless he was, you know, abroad at the time. So it would give everything in each game. You know, I, I was there, I can testify. <laughs> I mean, obviously I'm mother. So, um, but yeah, he would take it, I could, I could tell he's taking it seriously. So and um, that that's how we go. It's never an accident. If you yeah. if you chosen for me, it's never an accident. So and uh, yeah, he was uh, he was he was in his last year of school. Um, 
when he was selected to training camp and um, his former uh, teacher is a rugby coach and he's one of the coaches I went on a tour with back in 2008 to Moscow uh, and Kazan uh, I think it was a 10 we spent two years in preparation for that trip so I was closely closely involved and I went with the, with them with that school so and one of the coaches then later was my son's form form teacher can you what a coincidence so anyway um yes so and what so obviously he told his form teacher that he was he was selected uh, for, for training camp england training camp and that teacher emailed every teacher in school about it and next thing I know, I got the letter from um, head um, master <laughs> to congratulate <laughs> on his achievement and so on. And my son said, "Oh," uh, and 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 he said, um, "We'll be waiting for the test test match." <laughs> and my son said, "Oh, now I need to get in the team." <laughs> but I I I was like. He's gonna get in the team. There's no other way. He's gonna get in the team, and he did. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And and he's on the books of St Helens at the moment, which which for me is a connection because their chief executive, Mike Rush, I I played alongside in the 1995 Emerging Nations. <gasps> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, know, I know Mike pretty well. You know, um, I've stood in the end of his passes, which probably yeah. You know, Probably dictates to some of my uh, broken noses more than anything else, given the quality <laughs> of Mike's passes. But there we go. Let's hope he's not listening in. I'll, Listen take, I'll take a note of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can I'll pass it on to Rocky for sure. He'll deny it as well. Uh, listen, Julia, it's been fascinating to speak to you. Um, it, you know, we, we worked together at that time. I, I was at the RFL, and you say we're on some of those trips. And uh, just to reminisce with you and and just again, that amazing moment of, you know, your, 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 your husband at the time happened to see an advert. And of course, you know, yeah. it was really right in your street. I know that there's one question you want to ask Kevin Rudd, isn't there? You've never asked him. Uh, How yeah. many people did apply? How many people applied to, you know, Love Rugby League can speak Russian, you know? <laughs> and, and we're running, we're running, we're running, we're yeah, 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 yeah. Now I, I've asked it. We've asked it in public now. Yes. I want to, I yeah. want to answer. I think you I want an answer. Okay. We'll demand an answer of Kevin Rudd. He needs to give an answer. How many applications were it? And he can't hide behind GDPR or anything like that. He's got to, he's got to say. So <laughs> great stuff to you. Listen, thank you so much. Uh, I, can I just mention, uh, can I just mention uh, one last thing? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to say uh, those years of my close involvement with rugby league and especially rugby league development in Russian speaking countries, uh, it was about lasted about seven years. I started as a liaison officer and interpreter and finished as a uh, Eastern Europe, Eastern European director. There you go. Yep. And uh, and they were the best. I'd say the best years, the best years of my life, really. Yeah. So and um, I, I'll I'll I'm yeah I'm gonna treasure these memories forever. So <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, I still speak to uh, rugby league people around the world, especially Russian speaking. Yeah. So listen, thank yeah. you for sharing those memories. I'm I'm so glad to hear that you've still got those friendships because that's that's what makes life so important. So thank you again, Julia. Thank that's, you, Graham. Thank you. So that's us, folks. We've we've 
We've completed our, our fifth podcast. Uh, again, around the world, a uh, number of countries obviously beginning to start playing rugby league again. Some still waiting to play rugby league. But we hope that in general, you and your families and your communities are staying as healthy and as safe as possible. And we'll be back again in two weeks' time. 